0: You are now in the Sapphire Planet. The planet Mercury has the most eccentric orbit of all the planets. Its eccentricity is 0.21, with its distance from the sun ranging from 46,000,000 to 70,000,000 kilometers or 29,000,000 to 43,000,000 miles. It takes 87.9 Earth days to complete an orbit. The higher velocity of the planet when it is near perihelion is clear from the greater distance it covers each 5-day interval. This varying distance to the Sun, combined with a 3 to 2 spin, orbit resonance of the planet's rotation around its axis result in complex variations of the surface temperature. This resonance makes a single day on Mercury last exactly two Mercury years, or about 176 Earth days. Mercury's orbit is inclined by 7 degrees to the plane of the Earth's orbit, the ecliptic. As a result, transits of Mercury across the surface of the Sun can occur only when the planet is crossing the plane of the ecliptic at the time it lies between the Earth and the Sun This occurs about every seven years, on average. Mercury's axial tilt is almost zero, with the best measured value as low as 0.027 degrees. This is significantly smaller than that of Jupiter, which has the second smallest axial tilt of all the planets, at 3.1 degrees. This means to an observer at Mercury's poles, the center of the sun never rises more than 2.1 arc minutes above the horizon. At certain points on Mercury's surface, an observer would be able to see the sun rise about halfway, then reverse and set before rising again, all within the same Mercurian day. This is because approximately four Earth days before perihelion Mercury's angular orbital velocity equals its angular rotational velocity so that the Sun's apparent motion ceases. Closer to perihelion, Mercury's angular orbital velocity then exceeds the angular rotational velocity. Thus, to a hypothetical observer on Mercury, the Sun appears to move in a retrograde direction. Four days after perihelion, the Sun's normal apparent motion resumes. For the same reason, there are two points on Mercury's equator hundred and eighty degrees apart in longitude, at either of which, around perihelion in alternate Mercurian years, once a Mercurian day the Sun passes overhead then reverses its apparent motion and passes overhead again then reverses a second time and passes overhead a third time taking a total of about 16 Earth days for this entire process. In the Other alternate Mercurian years, the same thing happens at the other of these two points. The amplitude of the retrograde motion is small, so the overall effect is that for two or three weeks, the Sun is almost stationary overhead, and it is most brilliant because Mercury is at perihelion, it's closest to the Sun. This prolonged exposure to the Sun at its brightest makes these two points the hottest places on Mercury. Conversely, there are two other points on the equator, 90 degrees of longitude apart from the first ones, where the Sun passes overhead only when the planet is at aphelion in alternate years, when the apparent motion of the Sun in the Mercurian sky is relatively rapid. These points, which are the ones on the equator where the apparent retrograde motion of the Sun happens when it is crossing the horizon, as described before, receive much less solar heat than the first ones described previously. Mercury attains inferior conjunction, near approach to the Earth, every 116 earth days on average but this interval can range from 105 days to 129 days due to the planet's eccentric orbit. Mercury can come as close as 77 million kilometers to the earth but will not be closer to the earth than 80 million kilometers until the year 28,622. The next approach to within 82 million kilometers is 2679 and to within 82 million kilometers in the year 4487. Its period of retrograde motion as seen from Earth can vary from 8 to 15 days on either side of inferior conjunction. This large range arises from the planet's high orbital eccentricity. For many years it was thought that Mercury was synchronously tidally locked with the Sun rotating once for each orbit and always keeping the same face directed towards the Sun in the same way that the same side of the Moon always faces the Earth. Radar observations in 1965 proved that the planet had a three to two spin orbit resonance rotating three times for every two revolutions around the Sun. The eccentricity of Mercury's orbit makes this resonance stable. At perihelion, when the solar tide is strongest, the Sun is nearly still in Mercury's sky. The original reason astronomers thought it was synchronously locked was that whenever Mercury was best placed for observation, it was always nearly at the same point in its 3-2 to resonance hence showing the same face. This is because, coincidentally, Mercury's rotation period is almost exactly half of its synodic period with respect to Earth. Due to Mercury's 3 to 2 spin orbit resonance, a solar day, the length between two meridian transits of the Sun, lasts about 176 Earth Day. A sidereal day, the period of rotation, lasts about 58.7 Earth days. Simulations indicate that the orbital eccentricity of Mercury varies chaotically from nearly zero to more than 0.45 over millions of years due to perturbations from other planets. This is thought to explain Mercury's 3 to 2 spin orbit resonance rather than the more usual 1 to 1, because this state is more likely to arise during a period of high eccentricity. Numerical simulations show that a future secular orbit resonant perihelion interaction with Jupiter may cause the eccentricity of Mercury's orbit to increase to the point where there is a 1% chance that the planet may collide with Venus within the next five billion years. In 1859, the French mathematician and astronomer Urbain Le Verrier reported that the slow precessions of Mercury's orbit around the Sun could not be completely explained by Newtonian mechanics and perturbations by the known planets. He suggested, among possible explanations, that another planet or perhaps instead a series of smaller corpuscles might exist in an orbit even closer to the Sun than that of Mercury to account for this perturbation. Others explanations considered included a slight oblateness of the Sun. The success of the search for Neptune based on its perturbations of the orbit of Uranus, led astronomers to place faith in this possible explanation, and the hypothetical planet was named Vulcan, but no such planet was ever found. The perihelion precession of Mercury is 5600 arc seconds or 1.55 degrees per century relative to the Earth. Newtonian mechanics, taking into account all the effects from the other planets, predicted a precession of 5,557 arc seconds or 1.54 degrees per century. In the early 20th century, Albert Einstein's general theory of relativity provided the explanation for the observed precession. The effect is very small. The mercurian relativistic Perihelion advances excess is just 42.98 arcseconds per century. Therefore, it requires a little over 12 million orbits for a full excess turn. Similar, but much smaller effects operate for other planets. 8.62 arc seconds per century for Venus, 3.84 for Earth, 1.35 for Mars, and 10.05 for the asteroid 1566 Icarus. Mercury's apparent magnitude varies between negative 2.6 brighter than the brightest star Cirrus and about positive 5.7 approximating the theoretical limit of naked eye visibility. The extreme occurs when Mercury is close to the sun in the sky. Observations of Mercury is complicated by its proximity to the Sun as it is lost in the Sun's glare for much of the time. Mercury can be observed for only a brief period during either morning or evening twilight. Mercury can, like several other planets and the brightest stars, be seen during a total solar eclipse like the Moon and Venus, Mercury exhibits phases as seen from the Earth. It is new at inferior conjunction and full at superior conjunction. The planet is rendered invisible from the Earth on both of these occasions because of its relative nearness to the Sun. Mercury is technically brightest, as seen from Earth, when it is at its full phase. Although the planet is farthest away from the Earth, when it is full, the greater illuminated area that is visible, an opposition brightness surge more than compensates for the incredible distance. The opposite is true from Venus which appears brightest when it is at crescent because it is much closer to the Earth than when it is in its givenest phase. Nevertheless, the brightest or full-phase appearance of Mercury is an essentially impossible time for practical observation because of the extreme proximity of the Sun. Mercury is best observed at the first and last quarter, although they are phases of lesser brightness. The first and last quarter phases occur at the greatest elongation, east and west, respectively. At both of these times, Mercury's separation from the Sun ranges anywhere from 17.9 at perihelion to 27.8 at aphelion At greatest elongation west, Mercury rises at its earliest before the Sun, and at its greatest elongation east, it sets at its latest after the Sun. At tropical and subtropical latitudes, Mercury is more easily seen than at higher latitudes. This is the result of two effects. One, The Sun ascends above the horizon more steeply at sunrise, and descends more steeply at sunset, so the twilight period is shorter. And two, at the right times of the year, the ecliptic intersects the horizon at a very steep angle, meaning that Mercury can be relatively high altitude up to 28 degrees in a fully dark sky. Such conditions can exist for instance after sunset near the spring equinox in March-April for the southern U.S. and in September-October for South Africa and Australia-Asia. Conversely pre-sunrise viewing is easiest near the autumn equinox. At temperate latitudes Mercury is more often easily visible from Earth's southern hemisphere than from its northern hemisphere. This is because Earth Mercury's maximum possible elongations west of the Sun always occurs when it is early autumn in the southern hemisphere whereas its maximum possible eastern elongations happen during the late winter in the southern hemisphere. In both of these cases, the angle Mercury strikes with the ecliptic is maximized, allowing it to rise several hours before the sun in the former instance and not set until several hours after sundown in the latter in countries located at southern temperate zone latitudes such as Argentina and South Africa. By contrast, at the major population centers of the northern temperate latitudes, Mercury is never above the horizon of a more or less fully dark sky night. Ground-based telescopes' observations of Mercury reveal only an illuminated partial disk with limited detail. The first two spacecraft to visit the planet was Mariner 10, which mapped about 45% of its surface from 1974 to 1975. The second is the Messenger spacecraft, which after three Mercury flybys between 2008 and 2009, attained orbit around Mercury on March 17, 2011, to study and map the rest of the planet. The Hubble Space Telescope cannot observe Mercury at all due to safety procedures that prevent its pointing too close to the Sun. Mercury is seen most easily when it is close to its greatest elongation which means that its angular separation from the sun is at its greatest. It can be near greatest western elongation which means it is west of the sun in the sky so it is visible soon before sunrise or greatest eastern elongation which means it is visible soon after sunset. However, the exact dates of the greatest elongations are not the best ones on which to try to see Mercury. The phase of the planet greatly affects its apparent brightness. At greatest elongation, it's approximately at half phase. It is brighter when it is at us, which means that the best times to see Mercury are the few days before greatest eastern elongation in the evening, or a few days after greatest elongation in the morning. The apparent inclination of the ecliptic to the horizon is also important. When the inclination is large, as occurs near the spring equinox in the evening and near the autumnal equinox in the morning, by the way this is true for observers in both hemispheres, Mercury is higher in the sky when the sun is just below the horizon which makes it easier to see than at other times the inclination of the ecliptic is also greater for observers at low latitudes than high ones. It is helpful if Mercury is close to Aphelion at the time of observation because this makes it further from the Sun than in other times. However, it also makes the planet less brilliantly illuminated so that the visibility advantage is not great. At present, Mercury is fairly close to aphelion when viewed at greatest western elongation at the March equinox, or greatest eastern elongation at the September equinox. Putting all of these factors together for the best time for an observer in the southern hemisphere to see Mercury is in the morning near the March equinox a few days after Mercury is at greatest western elongation or in the evening near the September equinox a few days before greatest eastern elongation. An observer in the northern hemisphere cannot optimize all the factors simultaneously. Usually the best chance of seeing a planet are in the evening near the March equinox a few days before greatest eastern elongation or in the morning near the September equinox a few days after greatest western elongation. The inclination of the ecliptic is then large but Mercury is not close to aphelion. Mercury's period of revolution around the Sun is 88 days. It therefore makes about 4.15 revolutions around the Sun in one Earth year. In successive years, the position of Mercury on its orbit, therefore, shifts by 0.15 revolutions, when seen on specific dates, such as the equinoxes. Therefore, if, for example, greatest eastern elongation happens on the March equinox of some year, about three years later, greatest western elongation will happen near the March equinox because the position of Mercury on its orbit at the equinox will have changed by about half a revolution. Thus, if the timings of elongations in equinoxes are unfavorable for observing Mercury in some year, they will be favorably, fairly favorable within about three years later. The earliest known recorded observations of Mercury are from the MUL.APIN tablets. These observations were most likely made by Assyrian astronomers around the 14th century BC. The cuneiform name is used to designate Mercury on the MUL.APIN tablets, as transcri- is transcribed as the "jumping planet." Babylonian records of Mercury date back to the first millennium B.C. The Babylonians called the planet Nabu after the messenger to the gods in their mythology. The ancient Greeks of Hesiod's time knew the planet with the meaning the gleaming. Later, Greeks called the planet Apollo when it was visible in the morning sky and Hermes when it was visible in the evening sky. They had no idea it was the same planet. Around the 4th century BC Greek astronomers came to understand that the two names referred to the same body. Hermes a planetary name that is retained in modern Greek. The Romans named the planet after the swift-footed Roman messenger god Mercury, which they equated with the Greek Hermes because it moves across the sky faster than any other planet. The Roman Egyptian astronomer Ptolemy wrote about the possibility of planetary transits across the face of the sun in his work, Planetary Hypotheses, he suggested that no transits had been observed either because planets such as Mercury were too small to see or because the transits were too infrequent. In ancient China, Mercury was known as Jing, the hour star. It was associated with the direction north and the phase of water in the Wu Jing. Modern Chinese, Korean, Japanese and Vietnamese cultures refer to the planet literally as the water star based on the five elements. Hindu mythology used the name Buddha for Mercury and this god was thought to preside over Wednesday The god Odin of Germanic paganism was associated with the planet Mercury and Wednesday. The Maya may have represented Mercury as an owl, or possibly four owls, two for the morning aspect and two for the evening, that served as a messenger to the underworld. The ancient association of Mercury with Wednesday is still visible in the names of Wednesdays in its various modern languages of Latin descent. Mercuri in French, Merculus in Spanish, or Mercuri in Romanian, the names of the days of the week were, in classical times, all related to the names of the seven bodies that were then considered to be planets. In ancient Indian astronomy, the Surya Siddhanta, an Indian astronomical text of the fifth century, estimates the diameter of Mercury as 4,841 kilometers or 3,008 miles. This is an astonishing error of less than 1% from the currently accepted diameter of 4,880 kilometers or 3,032 miles. In medieval Islamic astronomy, astronomers in the 11th century described the deference of Mercury's geocentric orbit as being oval, like an egg, although this insight did not influence astronomical theory or astronomical calculations. In the 12th century, they were observed as two planets as black spots on the face of the Sun, which was later suggested as the transit of Mercury and or Venus by astronomers. In India, school astronomers of the 15th century developed a partially heliocentric planetary model in which Mercury orbits the Sun, which in turn orbits the Earth, similar to the Tychonic system later proposed by Tycho Brahe in the late 16th century. The first telescopic observations of Mercury were made by Galileo in the early 17th century. Although he observed phases when he looked at Venus, his telescope was not powerful enough to see the phases of Mercury. In 1631, Pierre Gassendi made the first telescopic observations of the transit of a planet across the Sun when he saw a transit of Mercury predicted by Johannes Kepler. In 1639, Giovanni Zuppi used a telescope to discover that the planet had orbital phases similar to Venus and the Moon. The observation demonstrated conclusively that Mercury orbited around the Sun. A very rare event in astronomy is the passage of one planet in front of another. Occultation is what it's called. As seen from Earth, Mercury and Venus occult each other every few centuries. And the event of May 28, 1737, is the only one historically observed, having been seen by John Bevis, at the Royal Greenwich Observatory. The next oculation of Mercury by Venus will be on December 3rd, 2133. See you there. The difficulties inherent in observing Mercury meant that it had been far less studied than the other planets. In 1800, Johann Schroter made observations of surface features claiming to have observed 20-kilometer-high mountains. Friedrich Bessel used Schroeder's drawings to erroneously estimate the rotation period as 24 hours and an axial tilt of 70 degrees. In the 1880s, Giovanni Schiaparelli mapped the planet more accurately and suggested that Mercury's rotational period was 88 days the same as its orbital period due to tidal locking this phenomenon is known as synchronous rotation the effort to map the surface of the Mercury was continued by Ingenioso and Todadi who published a book in 1934 that included both maps and his own observations. Many of the plant's surface features, particularly the albedo features, take their names from Antonati's map. In June 1962, Soviet scientists at the Institute of Radio Engineering and Electronics of the USSR Academy of Sciences, led by Vladimir Kolniknikov, became the first to bounce radar signals off Mercury and receive it, starting radio radar observations of the planet. Three years later, radar observations by American Gordon Pettengill and R. Dice using 300 meter Arecibo observatory radio telescope in Puerto Rico showed conclusively that the planet's rotational period was about 59 days. The theory that Mercury's rotation was synchronous had been widely held and it was a surprise to astronomers when these radio observations were announced. If Mercury were tidally locked, its dark face would be extremely cold, but measurements of radio emissions revealed that it was much hotter than expected. Astronomers were reluctant to drop the synchronous rotation theory and propose alternative mechanisms, such as powerful heat-distributing winds, to explain the observations. Italian astronomer Giuseppe Colombo noted that the rotation value was about two-thirds of Mercury's orbital period and proposed that the planet's orbital and rotational periods were locked in a 3 to 2 ratio rather than a 1 to 1 resonance. Data from Mariner 10 subsequently confirmed this view. This means that Scherapelli's and Arradandi's maps were not wrong. Instead, the astronomers saw the same features during every second orbit and recorded them, but disregarded those seen in the meantime, when Mercury's other face was towards the Sun, because the orbital geometry meant that these observations were made under poor viewing conditions. Ground-based optical observations did not shed much further light on the innermost planet, but radio astronomers using inferometry at microwave wavelengths, a technique that enables removal of the solar radiation, were able to discern physical and chemical characteristics of the subsurface layers to a depth of several meters, not until the first probe flew past Mercury many of its most fundamental morphological properties became known. Moreover, recent technological advances have led to improved ground-based observations. In 2000, high-resolution lucky imaging observations were conducted by the Mount Wilson Observatory's 1.5-meter Hale Telescope. They provided the first views that resolved surface features on the parts of Mercury that were not imaged in the Mariner mission. Later, imaging has shown evidence of a huge double-ringed impact basin even larger than the Caloris Basin in the non-Mariner-imaged hemisphere. It has informally been dubbed Skynacus Basin Most of the planet has been mapped by the Arecibo radio telescope with a 5-kilometer resolution, including polar deposits in shaded craters of what may be water ice. Reaching Mercury from Earth poses significant technical challenges because the planet's orbits so much closer to the Sun than the Earth. A Mercury-bound spacecraft launched from Earth must travel over 91 million kilometers into the Sun's gravitational potential well. Mercury has an orbital speed of 48 kilometers per second, whereas Earth's orbital speed is 30 kilometers per second. Thus, the spacecraft must make a large change in velocity or delta V, to enter a Hohmann transfer orbit that passes near Mercury, as compared to the delta V required for other planetary missions. The potential energy liberated by moving down the sun's potential well becomes kinetic energy, requiring another large delta V change to do anything other than rapidly pass by Mercury. To land safely or enter a stable orbit, the spacecraft would would rely entirely on rocket motors. Aerobraking is ruled out because the planet has very little atmosphere. A trip to Mercury requires more rocket fuel than that required to escape the solar system completely. As a result, only two space probes have visited the planet so far. A proposed alternative approach would use a solar sail to attain a Mercury-synchronous orbit around the Sun. The first spacecraft to visit Mercury was NASA's Mariner 10 from 1974 to 1975. The spacecraft used the gravity of Venus to adjust its orbital velocity so that it could approach Mercury, making it both the first spacecraft to use this gravitational slingshot effect and the first NASA mission to visit multiple planets. Mariner 10 provided the first close-up images of Mercury's surface, which immediately showed its heavily cratered nature and revealed many other types of geological features, such as the giant scarps, which were later ascribed to the effects of the planet shrinking slightly as its iron core cooled. Unfortunately, due to the length of Mariner 10's orbital period, The same face of the planet was lit at each of Mariner 10's close approaches. This made observations of both sides of the planet impossible and resulting in the mapping of less than 45% of the planet's surface. On March 27, 1974, two days before its first flyby of Mercury, Mariner 10's instruments began re- registering large amounts of unexpected ultraviolet radiation near Mercury. This led to a tentative identification of Mercury's moon. Shortly afterward, the source of the excess UV was identified as the star 31 craterus and Mercury's moon passed into the astronomy's history's book as a ill-advised footnote. The spacecraft made three close approaches to Mercury, the closest of which took it to within 327 kilometers of Mercury's surface. At the first close approach, instruments detected a magnetic field, to the great surprise of planetary geologists. Mercury's rotation was expected to be much too slow to generate a significant dynamo effect. The second close approach was primarily used for imaging, but at the third approach, extensive magnetic data were obtained. The data revealed that the other planet's magnetic field is much like the Earth's, which deflects the solar wind around the planet the origin of Mercury's magnetic field is still the subject of several competing theories. On March 24, 1975, just eight days after its final close approach, Mariner 10 ran out of fuel. Because its orbit could no longer be accurately controlled, mission controllers instructed the probe to shut down. Mariner 10 is thought to still be orbiting the Sun close to Mercury every few months. A second NASA mission to Mercury named MESSENGER, which is an acronym of the larger name Mercury Surface Space Environment Geochemistry and Ranging was launched on August 3, 2004, from Cape Canaveral Air Force Station aboard a Boeing Delta II rocket. It made a flyby of the Earth in August of 2005 and of Venus in October 2006 and June 2007 to place it in the correct trajectory to reach an orbit around Mercury. The first flyby of Mercury occurred on January 14, 2008 and a second on October 6, 2008 and a third on September 29, 2009. Most of the hemisphere was not imaged by Mariner 10 has been mapped during these flybys. The probe successfully entered an elliptical orbit around the planet on March 18, 2011. The first orbital image of Mercury was obtained on March 29, 2011. The probe finished a one-year mapping mission and is now on a one-year extended mission expected to end In 2013. In addition to continued observations and mapping of Mercury, MESSENGER observed the solar maximum in the year 2012. The mission is designed to clear up six key issues Mercury's high density, its geological history, the nature of its magnetic field, the structure of its core whether it has ice at its poles, and where its tenuous atmosphere comes from. To this end, the probe is carrying imaging devices which will garner much higher resolution images of much more of the planet than Mariner 10, assorted spectrometers to determine abundance of elements in the crust, and magnometers and devices to measure velocity of charged particles. Detailed measurements of tiny changes in the probe's velocity as it orbits will be used to infer details of the planet's interior structure. Your journey is now ending. You are now leaving the Sapphire Planet.